Welcome to Vows to Keep Radio with David and Tracy Sellers. Our mission is to help couples develop biblically healthy marriages through the application of God's Word and a deeper relationship with Him. We desire to help you and your spouse grow closer to each other and closer to the heart of God's design for your marriage. Now here's David and Tracy with today's broadcast. How are you guys doing today? We are David and Tracy Sellers. And like you, we've made vows to keep. Let's talk money, David. Money, money, money. I had a friend this week whose hot water heater broke, and they wanted to get one that was like the same caliber as their old one. But man, those things are expensive. No kidding. So when that happens to you, does it scare you or is it just kind of an annoyance? If your kids need a new sports uniform and oof, those can get pretty expensive. Yeah. Would you blindly just put it on your credit card or would you know, you know what? I've got the money set aside for the rainy days just like this. When bills come due and we all know that they do, are you kind of borrowing from Peter to pay Paul and rather than paying down the debt, you're scrambling just to pay some of the bills? We start today on Vows to Keep Radio knowing that there are hundreds and thousands of different scenarios that couples experience when it comes to finances. There's lost jobs, there's job changes, it's homes, selling and buying cars, it's the big purchases, let alone those unforeseen expenses. Do we have enough money to do what we want in the moment, or do we just go ahead and do it anyhow, knowing full well our bank account won't be able to support those choices? Finances aren't something we can ignore. The buy now, pay later, used car joints, they live on the lie that we can try, however. It creates more problems in the end, and it's a predictable cycle we can look around in society and see. But wow, these can be some of the toughest conversations to have with our spouse when it comes to making financial choices. It can get heated, feelings can be hurt, there's power struggles sometimes, and lots of misunderstandings. And even just simply not being on the same page about our goals can cause us to just be like, you know what? I don't want to talk about this right now. Let's put it off until later, like maybe next year or something like that. And what ends up happening is it simmers on the back burner of our conversation list. We know it's there. We know we need to talk about it. And it sits there until something like a broken lawnmower like us brings it back to the front. Something that forces us to have to talk about it. When was the last time that you and your spouse sat down? and had the cash conversation. How did it go? Did you both walk away frustrated? Did you feel like, oh, clearly I lost this fight and nothing has actually changed at all? Or did you end it with a smile, knowing that even though your situation isn't perfect, we're in agreement, there's hope for the future. Or maybe you are the couple that has the money conversation all of the time going around the same mountain, fighting about what to do with the money or the lack of money more often than you'd like to admit. Well, every time a new couple comes to us and we sit down, we're able to talk through their struggles. We are so thrilled when we get to disciple them towards a biblically healthy marriage. And one of the common things that comes up, not surprisingly, is money. It's the one thing there never seems to be enough of. And I don't know if you know this or not, but it accounts for about 20% of the divorces in our nation. I suppose that falls into the category of irreconcilable differences. It also might, if each person in the marriage is striving to see the money spent or the money saved in the way that they perceive is right, because we've all got our own goals and those define our needs versus wants, or maybe even how I perceive your needs versus your wants, David. 
When two people with vastly different spending habits or even saving habits get married, conflict is bound to happen. One awesome thing we get to do with many couples is walk through what God's word teaches about money and how we apply those truths to the financial decisions that we have to make. Then the four of us sit down and we have a working session. We get everything out on the table and we walk through the expenses, the income, and the goals. It's really one of our favorite times of the couple because God's word is so clear about what to do. There's really actionable answers to what can feel like an insurmountable problem. So how fitting is it that here we are today in a series all about money? We're going to start at the heart level. And before we wrap up with our series, our goal is to get very, very practical. How do we solve the most burning money issues? Can we make what is currently our most avoided topic into one that will end with tight unity? Yes. (laughs) The answer is yes. Well, we asked you when we got started, when was the last time that the two of you had the money talk? Now I want you to answer this. When was the last time that you really dug into the Bible to get a refresher on what God specifically asks you to do with your money? God's word is pretty straightforward on the topic. And for that, I am super grateful. This last weekend, my youngest daughter and I got to do a mother-daughter retreat at a local horse farm. It was a great time with lots of other moms and their girls. And we were sharing the devotions. And as part of that, we were talking about obeying God's word. And I just picked two common topics that I thought most people would be able to relate with, whether they were a mom or a daughter. I chose forgiveness and finances. Now, I didn't have time in our devotion to really dig down into what God's word said. But my point was God's word is not silent on these topics. So after I was done, we had a meal together with all these ladies and the mom sitting across from me said, I don't have any debt. So what else does the Bible have to say about money? Now she kind of put me on the spot. All of a sudden I had to think, yeah, what does the Bible have to say about money? It's like a pop quiz. It definitely was. The first thing that came to my mind was the borrower is a slave to the lender. That's definitely something many of us can relate to. We go to work every week and a significant part of what we make goes to pay off debt. And so we become slaves to that. Some of us have to work harder to dig out of the hole we've gotten ourselves into. But here's the thing. She didn't need that truth. She was debt free, but that's all I could think of in the moment. So I need the refresher that we're going to have today. The Bible is so relevant with what it teaches. Have we considered the needs of the future? Well, the Bible gives us directives about that. Are we generous givers? The Bible speaks to that. Do we feel rich enough to be empowered in our selfish desires? And since we aren't in debt, are we okay with this? Well, guess what? The Bible speaks to us in that position as well. If you had asked us 20 years ago about our budget and our finances, we would have said we really weren't seen totally eye to eye. I was more of a spender. And I was probably more of a saver, I guess. Not exactly things that create oneness. If we would have stayed on that path, almost just two different paths, I can honestly say I don't know if Faust to Keep Marriage Ministries would be what it is today. God gave us this calling. Our financial picture, just like yours, though, affects our ability to follow through. And whether you fight about it daily or just surrender to agree to disagree, how you manage your money is going to play a major role in the long-term success of your family. For example, a couple came to us in deep isolation. And that isolation really included every aspect of their lives. There was a lack of physical intimacy happening. There was issues in parenting. There was issues in how they managed their time. 
But finances was the only thing that was like clear enough to them that that this issue was going to bubble up and explode in their lives. It was clear that they needed to put their attention on it. It was this looming iceberg, though. Both of them knew it. Issues with finances can come up in lots of other ways, too. We recently sat down with a different couple, and the wife's greatest desire was to be at home raising her young family. And while the husband didn't actually fundamentally disagree with that desire, he made it clear he didn't think it was an option financially. But the thing was, they really didn't have a good read on if that was actually true or not. Why? Because they didn't have a budget. So how could they know if that was a possibility? And that was actually true in both these cases. No budget, no financial plan whatsoever. Think of it like a plane flying with no destination to land and no measurable instrumentation keeping them from crashing. Not to mention no gas in the tank. Now, Tracy, I know you know this. I love flying. I hope that you get your pilot's license someday. (laughs) Yeah, because someday I want to own one of those little like four or maybe even six-seater planes and be able to tool around and visit fun places and take friends with us. That would be awesome. And to run further with that analogy, in this series, we're going to be talking to four kinds of people. The first is the spender, the second, the saver, the third, the giver, the fourth, the independent. So the spender, a person who doesn't look far enough down the itinerary to fly past the most immediate destination. They can't get anywhere far because they can't have the patience to stay in the air long enough. And then there's the saver. They have got so much extra fuel packed onto this plane that it's overloaded. It can't even actually take off. The sad part is that many savers are so focused on acquiring all the resources they think they could ever use that they actually never take the trip. We're also going to talk to the giver. And although this might be the smallest group out of the four, these are the people who sometimes have the tendency to neglect the things that are essential to the flight. Hey, my friends don't have enough gas to go the distance. Sure, you can have whatever you need. I've got you covered. Meanwhile, they haven't paid attention to the fact that their own tank is on empty and their next flight is not going to result in a safe trip to their destination, but it's actually going to crash somewhere between here and there. And then finally, the independent. These are two people who are flying together and they've forgotten that they're actually on the same plane. They've each taken a flight stick, they've picked out their own itinerary, but they're overlooking the fact that the plane can't go in two directions. And they're surprised that it's not successful when they try and saw the plane in half. Now, obviously, we've given some extremes on these, but truly, if you take any of these directions, you're going to kill your unity and you're going to create a lot of unnecessary hardship. So let's talk about the value that we've assigned money. Sure, we all know that if a bill says one zero zero, it's worth a hundred bucks. But have you also told yourself that money is where your security is or that money will give you what you want? Status, control, happiness. Have you even told yourself that's where unity in my marriage could be fixed? If my husband and I had enough money to pay the bills or if he would just see things my way, then we'd stop fighting. So the value of money now becomes a means to the end of fighting and to get back to where you used to be in your marriage. The Bible uniquely identifies money as something that we can do one of two things with, serve or use it to serve God. And there really is no in between. Matthew 6, 24 says, no one can serve two masters. Either you're going to hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. If you serve God, 
Together, you'll be unified. If you serve money, you'll be divided. It's as simple as that. If you have a marriage question, please email questions at vowstokeep.com. Vows to Keep will respond to you via email and perhaps use it on the air. Now let's rejoin Vows to Keep Radio with David and Tracy Sellers. We have to use money like a tool. Now, what is the tool being used to accomplish? It should be building God's kingdom, not our own. That means giving. That means being prepared. It means having margin. It means providing for our family as well as others that are in need. It's not just the value that you put on money that matters. It's how you as a couple choose to view money that is also important. So let's talk about financial authority in a marriage. It's really one of the most divisive topics. One spouse might feel like they're being controlled if the other spouse makes all the money or spends all the money. But scripture doesn't say who should take out the garbage, does it? Or wash the dishes or manage the money. It does say that we are to be working as one. For example, in our house, Tracy has a bit more time. (laughs) Yeah, right. We're always time crunched. But she's able to keep up on the bills and make sure that there's enough money for the groceries each week. But that doesn't put me in the position of financial authority. Actually, it's kind of the opposite. When I'm trying to balance everything in my Excel spreadsheet, hopefully my heart is taking on a servant leadership role. But in many cases, it becomes a question of authority. Just because I keep track of the money doesn't mean I'm in charge of where the money goes. It's not like I'm giving David an allowance every week. We have to be careful to make sure that whether we're managing the money or making the money, we don't make our own plan for our money when we should be getting that plan directly from the Bible. David had mentioned four different categories, and in almost every marriage, one of us is the spender. And I'm going to break spender down into the impulse spender and the premeditated spender. So impulse spenders are so bold as to say, hey, I want something, and I've got the credit card, so guess what? I'm going to go get it. Yeah, man, I saw that new F-150. It looks sharp. I'm going to go get one, and I'll post the pictures online so all my friends can drool. Like you said, there's also those premeditated spenders, quietly making the decisions so that this big purchase is obtainable in the future. Like, I want to have a vet. And I can't quite buy it today, but the day is coming, baby, when I will finally have the status symbol that proves my success. And we're not just making this stuff up. This is real life stuff. Yeah, these are examples from real life couples. The ladies version of that might be a little less, I don't know, selfish sounding in their own eyes. Like, I want my kids to grow up in a nice neighborhood, so I'm going to buy a nice house in this more upscale community. I'm not being selfish. This is for my kids. The house that will meet our needs rarely looks like that on TV image that we want to portray. So we spend well past what will actually meet our family's needs. Some of us might have a real wrestle with materialism. Some of us are prone to instant gratification, but it's all with the same motivation, whether you're the impulse spender or the premeditated spender. Growing up, I had two older sisters and I was the saver of the family. Cash was king back in the 1980s and 90s. You swept the sidewalk, you know, here's a dollar. And I was always so proud that my sisters had to come to me when they were broke because I always had cash. I never spent what was given to me. Now, that didn't last real long because (laughs) as a teenager, I definitely shifted more toward 
the spender. I wanted to fit in at school. I wanted to have the new shirt. What that turned into was I spent every dollar I made working and babysitting. And I started doing that when I was like 11 years old. I had a lot of money and it all went out the door. The end result of that was me remaining at home into my early 20s because I didn't have money to move out. A lot of times the things that we see seem so important that we're willing to spend money that we don't really have, or we haven't thought far enough ahead that we may need it in the future. We talked about this before, whether it's sports, uniforms, and registrations. I mean, you can easily sink five, $600 into a season of just doing that. Maybe it's the prom dresses. We just found out this last week how expensive those things are. Maybe it's a family vacation that we so clearly don't have the money for, but you justify it by saying, you know what? They're only young once. We've got to make memories now. So we throw it all on the credit card. But this is the question I want to ask you. Do you believe that your kids are God's kids first? Do you believe that God will actually provide for their real needs? So much so that you won't justify going into debt. Something that we can see in God's word is not a good habit. At its root, I think that when we don't consider our money as God's money, we're going to be tempted to use it as our own. God has given us everything, including our family, including our marriage, including our money to be a steward of. And as a spender, when we fight about money, it's often because we view it as a means to an end that we're after. I think it's good to evaluate this question. Where is my happiness tied to money? Or has your spouse been stuck in the hole of praying that you would learn how to be a good steward so that you and your happiness isn't tied to something of this world. It's not just about the money. The way we spend the resources in our life, like we spend money, and I'm talking about time and emotional capacity, even your passions, can all be sapping the reserves that you need to be giving to your marriage and to your family. Luke 16, 11 says this, and if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? Spenders have an idol. And in some ways, the impulse spender might be a little bit easier to handle because their idols pop up quickly and they burn down just as quick. The $20, $30 shirt that they bought isn't going to make as big of a splash in your pocketbook as the $3,000 dog that she wants to buy, plus all of the dog food and vet bills over the next 13 years that the premeditated spender has as their goal. Because the spouse of a premeditated spender is going to feel pain points along this long journey of watching their spouse try to obtain their idol, whether it's the Corvette or the dog or whatever it is. And they watch the heartache of their spouse over and over when they're not able to obtain that idol. And it is a long, slow burn. So read the impulse spender or the premeditated spender. And what pain points is this causing for your spouse? What are you doing about it? I would encourage you tonight to go talk with your husband, go talk with your wife about this. Get honest and then ask, what does God's word say about spending? And then how will we work together to overcome this sin, this tendency that I have? Now let's talk to savers for a minute because savers like a broadcast about money because, hey, it's what we care about. I told you I used to be a saver when I was a kid. Then I transferred over to spending. I'm a saver now for a very different reason. We went on the road to getting out of debt 
And now we're working towards full-time ministry. There's a reason that we need to save money. God's word is clear about being prepared for the future. Saving is not wrong, but you know what? Money can become an idol to those of us that are working to save for security as well. Now, you might be very right as the saver. You might recognize that your most important goals, well, they haven't been met yet. Or maybe you're someone who's remembering a time of terrible financial insecurity. Maybe you remember the day you lost a job where fear of going without was driving every decision from there on forward. Are the financial goals that you have for spiritual investments or are they for providing security for you with the size of your savings? Matthew 6 speaks to this, as do other places in God's word, where Jesus tells us not to store up our treasures here on earth because moths eat them and rust destroys them. You can ask us about that. We're a car family. (laughs) And where thieves break in and steal, yeah, you got to have security cameras these days. Jesus says, store your treasures in heaven, because where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Well, let's put this into practice. There are some of us as savers that are saying, you know what? I need to be thinking about my kids' financial future. They've got a college degree to go pursue it. And they've thought about all these things before they've actually considered, what is your scriptural responsibility to be a giver for the kingdom of God? Many savers considered their old age and their retirement before they would ever even consider giving to someone who's needy right here, right now. This is why it's so important to dig into God's word so we can get these truths, like this one from James Two, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say, I have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So the implication here is that you have enough to give. And I don't want to say that just because you're a saver, you're greedy. That is not the case at all. But if we have the means to have the choice whether we're going to save or give, Jesus is talking to you and I here in this passage. As it continues in James 2, it says, So you see, faith by itself, it's not enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, some may argue, some have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. So what he's saying is the two need to run in parallel. There are some of us that lack faith in God. And what we do is save well beyond what makes sense so that we have the ability to depend on ourselves. I basically, at that point, have no deeds because that requires generosity on multiple levels. Now, if I only have deeds and I trust God with my today and I lack the faith and the foresight to obey his word to be prepared, well, that's another problem as well. When anxiety over the future grips you, we lose the ability to trust God for our needs. Our charge for savers is this, substitute faith for fear and recognize God is worthy of your trust. Just like we talked about with the spender, think about this, what pain points is saving out of fear causing for your spouse and what are you going to do about it if this is you we would encourage you to sit down with your husband or your wife tonight and open up this discussion open up god's word see what it says about saving see what it says about him being your great provider 
Well, as we continue next time in our financial flight, we'll be talking to the giver, the pilot who sometimes has the tendency to neglect the things that are essential to a successful flight. We'll talk also to those that are trying to be independent, two people flying together, forgetting that they're even in the same plane, grabbing for the flight stick, steering for their own destination, overlooking the fact that that plane can't go in two directions at the same time. And then before the series is out, we'll get down to the practical level. How do we solve those financial discrepancies in our marriage? Vows to Keep is supported by a team which includes biblical coaches, writers, and pastoral advisors. If you have a desire to serve marriages in your community, we would love to hear from you. Vows to Keep is a not-for-profit marriage ministry designed to bring God's encouraging truth to the marriages of our area. As a not-for-profit organization, our commitment to Christ-like marriages includes providing much-needed services regardless of a couple's financial ability to offset the cost of Vows to Keep operations. If you are unable to donate your time or abilities but would like to help support Vows to Keep financially, visit VowsToKeep.com and click on the donate link. This program is sponsored by Vows to Keep of Zanesfield, Ohio.